Hey, good morning, Plum Creek. It's great to have you with us today. It's also very cool to see some of what happened down in Guatemala. I know that God really worked through that team. We had 17 people who actually went to the country, but we had many more who participated in this trip in some way. Some gave financially, and some signed up to be prayer partners. And I have to say, uh, my family and I, we were prayer partners, and that was such a cool experience. While the team was in Guatemala, they updated us every day on what was going on. They sent us prayer requests, and, and we got to pray in real time. And then when they got back, we got to hear some of the ways that God answered our prayers. So I would encourage you, if you've never been a prayer partner before, uh, look into that. You have another opportunity uh, to sign up to be a prayer partner very soon because, because we have a team going to North Africa later this month. And if you are interested, you can go to plumcreek.org slash Africa prayer. Now, if you're new to Plum Creek and you hear me talking about Guatemala and Africa, you might be thinking, well, what do you guys do around here? And that is a legitimate question. Uh, the answer is we do a lot around here. We love this community. We want to share the love of Jesus anywhere and everywhere we can. And that's why I'm very excited about a new sermon series that starts next week. It's called Life on Mission. And this sermon series is going to be very significant uh, for several reasons. I, I believe God is going to stretch us and use us in ways like we've never seen before. And I want to ask you to pray about your part, because everyone at Plum Creek will have the opportunity to accept a special kingdom mission. And this will be a challenge that is unique to you and your family. And I won't say much about it yet, um, but these challenges will help us grow to live the kind of lives that God wants us to live. And we need this. We don't want to waste our lives. We want to live on mission. So that starts next week, and today we're wrapping up our series called The Fruit of the Spirit. And uh, for the last few weeks, we've been looking at what happens when ordinary people are completely transformed by the power of God's Holy Spirit. And we've been learning about the Holy Spirit. We've learned that He is not some nebulous energy like the force from Star Wars. The Holy Spirit is God. He's the third person of the Trinity, and He lives or dwells within every true follower of Jesus. And the Bible has a lot to say about the Holy Spirit, but in this series, we focused on one important truth. The Holy Spirit gives us the power to become more like Jesus. If you allow the Holy Spirit to work in your life, He changes you. And that change is obvious. Other people will see it. They'll see the evidence, the proof that God is working in your life. They'll see this fruit. And what does that fruit look like? Well, some of us could recite it by now. Galatians 5, and 23. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And that's a great list. These are things we should expect to see in every follower of Jesus. And in this series, we've covered every fruit on this list except for two, gentleness and self-control. And uh, I, I have to say, these two virtues aren't quite as popular as some of the others. 
For example, think about gentleness. How many of us are excited about gentleness? How many times have you heard some guy say, hey, I don't want to brag, but I am a very gentle person? Back, back in high school, I was voted the gentlest person in my senior class. Isn't that cool? You don't hear that, do you? And we're going to talk more about gentleness today because the truth is, if you're not drawn to this particular fruit, it's, it's really because you don't understand what the Bible means here. So we're going to touch on that, but really we're going to focus on this other fruit of self-control. And that one's not very popular either. You might be thinking, yeah, I know that self-control is a good thing. I'm just not very good at it. And I really don't want you to remind me that I'm not very good at it. But hey, if that's you, you can relax because we're all in this together. We all struggle in this area of self-control. For example, think about this past week. Over the past seven days, can you remember a time when you ate too much or spent too much or stayed up too late? or spent too much time scrolling through social media, or you overreacted and lost your temper, or you did something else that you knew you shouldn't do, of course, this struggle is common for all of us, and we all wish we had more self-control. And why do we wish that? It's because we've seen the downside. We can relate to what the Bible says in Proverbs 25, 28. That verse says, a person without self-control is like a city with broken down walls. Now, especially in the ancient world, why was it so bad for a city to have broken down walls? Well, they were completely vulnerable to an enemy attack. A big bad army like the Babylonians could just march right in with their powerful weapons and wipe you out. However, if a city had strong walls strong towers. The enemy had a much tougher job. It's, it's difficult to take out those archers when they're firing at you from behind a wall. But how does this relate to a person with no self-control? Well, it's really very similar. That person is also completely vulnerable to the enemy because the devil will attack. The devil will tempt that person. And if they don't have any self-control, they're just going to give in very easily. So I want to go back to Galatians chapter 5. And this is the same chapter where the Apostle Paul writes about the fruit of the Spirit. And this time, I want to start at verse 16. In that verse, Paul writes, So I say, walk by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. Now, this is a perfect introduction to this topic of self-control. Uh, we all have these desires of the flesh. This is our sinful nature. It's those desires to do the wrong thing, but also to want too much of a good thing. Either way, these are the desires of the flesh. But we also have a different set of desires. Somewhere deep in your soul, there is a part of you that really wants to be the person God wants you to be. A preacher named Luke Erickson explained this really well. He said, there is a pair of things that are both true at the same time. First, we want to do whatever we want. 
We want to give in to those desires of the flesh. We have this bent towards self-indulgence. You, me, everybody else, we have this side of us. That's one truth. But there's another statement that is just as true. We want to do what we truly want. This is that deeper part of us. Underneath, underneath those surface desires of the flesh, most of us really want to be a good person. We want to be a loyal friend, a, a good husband or wife, a, a, a great mom or dad. We want to be a person of integrity. We want to be the same person wherever we are, even when we're alone. And you know, at, at certain times, it's pretty easy to follow those desires. For example, right now, from where I stand, you guys look like you're doing pretty well. You're on your best behavior. Nobody's causing trouble. Nobody's making bad decisions. Of course, we're at church, and we're going to leave. <laughs> and at some point, all of us will encounter a moment of weakness. Those are the moments when your desires of the flesh try to override those deepest desires to be who God wants you to be. Back in Galatians 5, right before Paul talks about the, the fruit of the Spirit, he makes another list. He describes the dark side of our nature, our desire to do whatever we want. Look at verse 19. Paul says, The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, some of these things may not be a problem for you. Maybe witchcraft, orgies. <laughs> but other things are probably a real struggle. Maybe it's jealousy, selfish ambition, fits of rage. God's Word tells us to restrain these desires. And when you think about it, that message is very countercultural. The culture tells you to pursue whatever you want. Obey your thirst. Chase happy things. Follow your arrow. Decide what's right for you and then go after it. And why does the culture preach that message? Well, many people believe that's how you find freedom, by doing whatever you want. It's like Elsa in Frozen. She said, no right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. But don't buy that. It's a lie. Self-indulgence promises freedom. But the truth is, the more you indulge yourself, the more you find yourself becoming a slave of your desires. You start to lose what you truly want. For example, if you spend as, as much money as you want to spend, debt will enslave you. If you let your anger take control, you will destroy relationships and, and, and choke the joy out of your life. If you give in to lustful thoughts and you look at porn, you will cut off intimacy between you and your spouse or between you and your future spouse. If you drink as much as you want to drink, you'll get to the point where 
you can't stop even if you want to. A lack of self-control has the potential to wreck your life. But let's look back at verse 21 here, where it says, those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, what's that about? Is, is God up there he's looking down at us in our moment of weakness, just waiting for us to mess up so he can kick us out of heaven? Is that what he's like? Not at all. God sees you. He knows everything about you, but he loves you, and he wants good things for you. You see, we need to understand the nature of God's kingdom. And here at Plum Creek in 2022, we've talked a lot about the kingdom of God. Early in the year, we said that God's kingdom is any place where his rule and his reign have truly begun. So what does life look like in God's kingdom? Well, it's not a place of slavery. It's a place of freedom. And it's not a place of sin and shame and regret. It's a place of forgiveness and restoration. It's a place where the Holy Spirit brings about this great fruit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, all these things. Don't you want to be a part of a kingdom like that? Of course you do. And that's what God wants for you as well. But we get frustrated and we get discouraged because we still struggle with these desires of the flesh. And some of us, we start to say, man, I messed up. I don't see how God will ever accept me because I can't get my act together. I, I just keep doing the wrong thing. But this is what's so beautiful about the gospel of Jesus Christ. When you give your life to Jesus, you're accepted by God, but not because of your performance. You're, you're only accepted because of God's grace. Now, that word grace, it means a gift that we don't deserve. And this gift in Scripture, it's, it's about forgiveness and salvation and eternal life. And this gift is only possible because of Jesus, because he sacrificed his life on the cross he took our sin on his shoulders. He paid the penalty that we deserve to pay. And so when you give your life to Jesus, you receive this gift. You go from 0% forgiven to 100% forgiven. We will never be accepted by God because of what we do or don't do. You're accepted only when you receive God's grace through a life-changing relationship with Jesus. And once you do that, the Holy Spirit starts to work. He transforms your life. This is when the, the fruit of the Spirit starts to grow. And this is what we want. In the deepest part of our souls, we want to see this fruit grow in our lives. Even the fruit of self-control. Even the fruit of gentleness. And like I said, uh, you may not think you're that interested in gentleness, but in the Bible, gentleness is about strength. It's just strength under control. It's not about weakness. It's not about letting people walk all over you. No, if, if you're going to be gentle, you have to be strong. For example, if you're a parent, uh, your kids, they, they need you to be gentle. They need you to be strong without being harsh. 
They do need you to correct them and guide them, but in a gentle way. You and I both know, though, we don't always want to be gentle. We don't always feel like that. You want to yell. Maybe you want to throw something. Maybe you want to throw somebody. But we also know that's a dangerous place to be. If you let your feelings and emotions take control, you may say something or do something that you will regret for the rest of your life. And that's not what life looks like in the kingdom of God. That's not the way of Jesus. That's not walking by the Spirit. Remember, gentleness is strength under control. These two virtues are closely related. And at this point, I I think we can all agree, we all need to grow in in self-control. But if you're like me, you've heard these sermons before. It's easy to listen to a sermon. It's difficult to go live out what God teaches us in His Word. So in the time we have left, here's what we're going to do. We're going to deal with the how question. Yes, I want to be the person that God wants me to be. I want to be strong in that moment of weakness. But how do I do that? Because after all this time, I still struggle. Well, to answer the how question, I want to go back to Proverbs. You remember the verse we read there? Proverbs 25, 28 says, A person without self-control is like a city with broken down walls. And I love this, this verse. It's a powerful picture This city has already lost a a great battle. The walls are broken down. They're completely vulnerable to an attack. And we see this picture and we know that's not who I want to be. But what's the alternative? What would a person look like if they did have self-control? What kind of city would that be? Well, I gave a lot of thought to that this week. And I started here at Proverbs 25, 28, and I thought about several other places in Scripture that could help us paint a different picture. So I'm going to push this metaphor a little. And of course, no metaphor is perfect, but this exercise was helpful for me, and I hope it's helpful for you too. So we're flipping the script here. Let's imagine a city that represents a person with self-control. And to make this personal, uh, let's imagine that this city is ruled by a man named Bob. And since Bob is in charge, we'll call this city Bobtown, which I thought, that's pretty creative. Uh, I thought about going with Bobopolis, but that seemed like a little much. But anyway, what does this city look like? Well, Bob sits on a throne in a palace at the center of town. But one thing you should know about Bob, he's not a real king. He's a pretender, and under Bob's rule, this city is not in good shape. It's like Proverbs 25, 28. The walls are broken down, the city's defenses are weak, and it's only a matter of time before the enemy attacks again. So it's clear, unless there's some kind of dramatic change, Bobtown is headed for destruction. But fortunately, this, city, this story, it, it takes a very positive turn. Because there is a true king. A king, not not the ruler over Bobtown. He's the ruler over the entire land. And one day, the true king shows up and he makes Bob an offer. He says, hey, I will take over and lead this city. But you have to choose that. 
So Bob, Bob has this big decision to make. Will he surrender? Will, will he give that control over to the king? Or will he try to hold on to power for himself? Well, Bob makes a great decision. He gets off the throne. He hands over the crown. He even changes the name of the city. It's no longer Bobtown. From now on, it's called the city of the king. So you see where I'm going with this metaphor, right? Bob represents a person who puts their faith in Jesus and makes him their king. And that's a lot like real life. When, when you surrender to Jesus, you make him your leader, the, the ruler in your life. And you're not living at the center of town anymore. He's at the center. He's calling the shots. And then after that big decision, the Holy Spirit goes to work in this town. He prepares you for battle. He helps you become the warrior that you could never be on your own. In Titus chapter 2, we see that the Holy Spirit becomes like a coach, like a teacher. Titus chapter 2, verse 11. Again, this is the Apostle Paul here, and he says, For the grace of God has appeared, this grace that offers salvation to all people, and it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Now, I talked about the word grace a minute ago. Uh, it's that gift that we don't deserve. But we need to understand what Paul is saying here because there are two aspects to grace. First, grace is this gift of salvation that comes through Jesus. But there's another side to grace. Once you're a follower of Jesus, you're forgiven, and that's great, but you still need to grow to become more like Jesus. So the Holy Spirit takes up residence in your heart. He dwells within you. And because you are so thankful for what Jesus has done, you give the Holy Spirit permission to change your heart and change your life. So this is the second aspect of grace. The Holy Spirit becomes your strength coach. He teaches you how to live a self-controlled and godly life. And this is truly an amazing thing. The Holy Spirit will change the desires of your heart. Look at what Paul says in Philippians 2.13. For God is working in you. That, that's the Holy Spirit. God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. Isn't that awesome? As you surrender to the Holy Spirit every day, He will weaken the desires of the flesh and strengthen your desire to be more like Jesus. But that's not all. In addition to being your strength coach, the Spirit will suit you up with armor and set you up with a powerful weapon. Paul talks about that in Ephesians chapter 6, where he says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Paul describes this armor over the next few verses. He, he makes a list. you got the, self, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth. He, he talks about the shield of faith. The shield will stop the flaming arrows of the devil. And we can't forget about this powerful weapon that goes with the armor. Paul says, take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. 
The Word of God is an offensive weapon that helps you fight back against the devil. And I mentioned this a couple weeks ago. If you have God's Word in your mind and in your heart, the Holy Spirit will remind you of the truth you need to hear exactly when you need to hear it. But like I said, if you never pick up your Bible, if you don't have God's Word in your heart, you haven't given the Spirit anything to work with. So, Scripture is powerful. Use it. Now, let's pause for a second. Let's, let's think about the, the situation in the city of the king. And by the way, we're not talking about Bob anymore. We're talking about you, unless your name is Bob, and then you can go with that. So, in this city, you have Jesus as the king. You have the Holy Spirit training you to be strong and giving you new desires. You've got the armor of God and, and this sword that helps you fight off the devil's attacks. The city is already in a much better place than where it was before. But we're not done yet. There's another part of this battle strategy. Jesus will gather an army of fellow soldiers around you. These are brothers in arms sisters in arms who help you fight the good fight. They help you say no to ungodliness and, and live with self-control. So now here in real life, where, where would you find this army? You know, don't you? It's the church. Your brothers and sisters in Christ, they encourage you and pray for you and fight alongside you. Look at Hebrews chapter 10. It says, and let us consider how we, the church, may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Now, this version of the church, it's not about showing up once a week for a one-hour worship service. Now, it's much more than that. It's it's a band of brothers and sisters sharing life together, helping each other follow Jesus. When there's a gap in your wall, the, the, these fellow soldiers, they, they run up and, and they help you fight in that gap. Of course, to, to get that kind of support, you need strong relationships. This worship service is great, and it's important, but it doesn't replace the strength you get from other followers of Jesus who really know you and they walk alongside you during the good times and the bad times. So be intentional about developing these strong relationships. Get in a life group. Join a Bible study. Uh, if, if you're in middle school or high school, be a part of the youth group here. And then in some cases, you may need to build a relationship with a Christian counselor who can help you deal with the more difficult struggles. Okay, bottom line is, we're not meant to go it alone. And at this point, our city is looking pretty good. We've got a new king, we've got new strength, you've got your armor, your sword, you've got this band of brothers and sisters at your side. But we still haven't talked about the wall. So where does that show up in the metaphor? Well, I, I, metaphors aren't perfect, like I said, but, but I think this is where we have to be smart. The Holy Spirit leads us and strengthens us in all kinds of ways, but I think He would also lead us to put up some firewalls. Don't leave these gaps where the enemy could just walk into your city. Think about your area of weakness 
Put some boundaries in place. If you're tempted to overspend, you may need to cut up your credit card and stick to cash or your debit card. If you're tempted by a certain kind of food, don't bring that food into your house. If you're wasting time online, set limits on your screen time. If you're looking at things online that you shouldn't be looking at, set up some internet accountability and and then recruit some fellow soldiers that will help you in that weak spot. Of course, that means you have to be honest with somebody. You have to admit your weakness and ask for help, and that can be tough. But this is all part of growing in this area of self-control. You've got to build these firewalls. But I have to say, the walls alone are not enough to do the job. External defenses are good, but if you're not letting the Holy Spirit change your heart from the inside out, it's only a matter of time before those walls are broken through. Well, that's our metaphor. I hope that exercise has been helpful for you. It's, it's helpful for me. I'm going to keep the picture of this city in my mind. But you know what? I'm not quite ready to leave yet. You see, up to this point, it seems like self-control is all about saying no to evil desires of the flesh. And is that all there is? Are we just hunkering down in this city, playing defense for the rest of our lives? For me, at least, that's not super inspiring. But as I thought about this, I realized something. Self-control is not just saying no to the wrong things. It's also saying yes to the right things. So we shouldn't just fixate on that list of evil desires. No, we want to fix our eyes on Jesus and say yes to the fruit of the Spirit. We want to grow in love and joy and peace and everything else. So how does this fit into our metaphor? Well, just picture it. In the city of the king, things aren't yet perfect, but they're really changing for the better. Inside, there's a a city full of people that they're no longer slaves to the desires of the flesh. And they're learning about this freedom that comes from walking in the Spirit. They're taking on the quality and the character of Jesus. And as they do that, they're showing other people who Jesus really is. You may remember a quote from Jesus. He said, And I... When I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. So in this city, the citizens of the kingdom form a community where you're starting to see the fruit of the Spirit all over the place. And by the way that they live, the people in this city lift Jesus up. The the people outside the walls, they're starting to see who Jesus is. And as time goes by, they're drawn to him. And other people make Jesus their king. And as they do that, the kingdom grows. And as the kingdom grows, the world changes for the better. You know, at this point, our metaphor is barely a metaphor. This this is real life. Do you remember what we said earlier? The kingdom of God is any place where God's God's rule and his reign have truly begun. So when you give your life to Christ and you become part of the church, not not a fake version of the church, but a real church, you become a citizen of this kingdom. You're living in the city of the king. We live in this place where God's rule and his reign have truly begun. However, that's not quite the end of it. 
The kingdom hasn't yet reached its final stage. We still look forward to a day when Jesus will return and and God's kingdom will show up in its final perfected form. We need to be ready for that day. And if you haven't yet made Jesus your king, get off the throne. Turn over your crown. For those of us who have already made that decision, let's ask the Holy Spirit to teach us how to live self-controlled, godly lives. And you know, when we ask, He'll do it. The Holy Spirit will set you free from doing whatever you want so that you can do and be what you truly want. As we've seen throughout this series, the, the fruit of the Spirit, it's all intertwined. Kindness is love in action. Goodness leads to joy. You can't have peace without patience. And gentleness is strength under control. And these virtues work together to help you build a track record of faithfulness. And when all this fruit grows in your life, you represent Jesus well. You point others to Him. That's what it means to live on mission. You're helping others become citizens in this kingdom. Well, that's getting ahead to next week. For now, let's pray that our church will be full of people who display the fruit of the Spirit, live self-controlled, godly lives where we just become a different person than who we used to be. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time that we've had to, to look at your word to see that growth is possible. It's not going to happen by our own strength. It's not going to happen when we're trying to run our own lives. But if we give control over to you, it can happen. And so I pray for that here at Plum Creek. I pray for that in your church around the world so that we can live in a way that lifts Jesus up and leads others to you. I pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, every week I'm confident that there's somebody listening who hasn't yet made that decision to get off the throne and make Jesus your king. And if you know you need to do that, you need that forgiveness, salvation, the gift of God's grace, you can do that today. Don't waste this opportunity. After the service is over, I'll be down here at the front of the stage. You could come see me here. You could stop by the Connection Cafe. Uh, We'd love to walk alongside you as you make that decision. Right now, let's stand and worship together.